0: If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 10. Matthew, chapter 10. Rena converted to Christ from Islam in her early 20s. She is a courageous young woman who was bold in expressing her faith to her family. She knew that she would be cursed at and driven away by her own parents, yet she could not keep her joy in the Lord hidden. Years later, after she married and her husband, Jess, became a Christian, Jess's two older brothers found out about his new faith and were deeply offended. They slapped him around violently. They never beat me before, Jess inhaled deeply and said. I couldn't betray Jesus again. Jess and Rena with their baby son were kicked out, and all their sheep and horses were taken away. They had no money, not enough clothes to wear, and no place to live. My parents had left an abandoned house in the mountains, that Jess shared. It was their only option. The ceiling leaked, and all the windows were broken. Temperatures often dropped dramatically at night, and gusts of wind made them shiver violently. There was no water or electricity either. Is it really worth it? Rena looked around and asked. Jess held her tight in his arms. It's part of a story shared last year by Open Doors, a ministry devoted to the persecuted Christian church. And Jess and Rena's experience is by no means unique. Many Christians of Muslim background are ostracized, or even worse, by their families, by those they hold most dear in life. But as we find in our passage this afternoon, dear church family, giving up relationships, experiencing opposition for Christ is not only for Muslim background believers. No, conflict for the sake of Jesus may seem more extreme for one person than another, but this reality is for everyone who would follow after Christ. Church, during this Advent season, we are investigating four different reasons Jesus came at Christmas. So last week, we saw how Jesus came to serve. This week, from Matthew chapter 10, we see how Jesus came To bring conflict. Jesus came to bring conflict. So, again, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 34 to 39 this afternoon. Verses 34 to 39. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So if you look back to the beginning of chapter 10 here in Matthew, Jesus is commissioning and sending out his disciples for the work of ministry. They're going to proclaim his message, the message Matthew often calls the message of the kingdom of heaven. Yet as they go, Jesus assures them they will experience conflict. In a very real way, he says, he has come to usher in new, renewed conflict to the world. So with our time together this afternoon, let's see two basic things from this passage, okay? First, let's see a Savior who divides, a Savior who divides, and then second, a Savior who is worth it. A savior who is worth it. So, first, a savior who divides. Look with me there at verse 35 or 34. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now, hold it right there. That doesn't sound very Christmassy, does it? I mean, this time of year, we're sending cards that say peace, we're singing songs. About peace on earth. We just sang that wonderful new modern hymn, Sing We the Song of Emmanuel. You should go YouTube that later this afternoon and watch Matt Boswell, who's the hymn writer, sing that. Just joyous anthem of Christmas. But one of my favorite lyrics in that song is that we sing joy and peace have come for the weary heart. Does your heart feel weary? Joy and peace have come for you at Christmas. In the most famous text of Christmas in Luke chapter 2, Rod mentioned or read part of this earlier, the angels appeared to the shepherds and what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. In the most famous Christmas prophecy in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. So has Matthew missed the memo? Has he misunderstood this whole Jesus coming thing? No. No, Matthew isn't disputing at all the very real peace Jesus brings. See, Jesus did come to bring a message of peace. He came to bring a message of salvation to those sick in their sin. He came to bring a message of healing for those broken by affliction. He came to bring a message of hope for those lost in darkness. But here's the thing, the message that comes from Jesus urges repentance and it commands a new allegiance, a new master, a new king. And so not all are going to hear this message and respond with finally, I don't get to run my life anymore. Not everyone's going to respond to this with jubilation, No, some, Jesus says, are going to hear it, and they're going to cover their ears, screaming for the noise to stop. Hating that anyone would call them a sinner, that anyone would call them to repent, that anyone would call them to change and put their faith in a prince of peace. So friend, consider this message, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' message is a message of peace, peace with God, the only real lasting peace available, the peace we so desperately desire in a world full of brokenness and fear. However, this message of peace will change everything about your life. This message of peace will demand your allegiance, your worship. It's going to demand your life. And for many that's simply too high a price to pay see in our sin we want to rule our lives we want to call the shots and so to submit to another king who asks for entire allegiance can seem a step too far i mean we're all about faith we're all about religion especially in this area of the world but nothing too radical Nothing too life-changing, nothing too costly, and certainly nothing that tells me what I should do. Church, Jesus does bring a message of peace, but it's a message that's going to rub many the wrong way. It'll bring conflict as we embrace it and then as we proclaim it. So when Jesus speaks of a message of peace, he's not guaranteeing you and me. He's not guaranteeing followers of his carefree happiness, fleeting peace that this world might seem to offer. No, he's promising actually the very opposite. Very real suffering and conflict in this life. Yes, with a deep abiding peace that perseveres, but a peace we will only experience in full at the second advent, when we experience peace forevermore. See, for the Christian who receives Jesus's message, peace with God through the gospel will inevitably mean conflict with the world. The New Testament scholar, Leon Morris, he puts it like this. He says, the peace Jesus came to bring is not simply the absence of strife. It is a peace that means the overcoming of sin. And the bringing in of the salvation of God. And so that means war with evil. And accordingly, hostility against those who support the ways of wrong. See, just like, just like the project you do with your kids that's safe and harmless but exciting, the, the volcano project with baking soda and vinegar, 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 it, just like that will, will create a reaction when mixed. Jesus' message, when poured into a cup of the sin of the world, will react. When the sin of self-rule meets the ruler of all, there's going to be a reaction. Jesus' message will bring conflict because conflict is what happens when heaven comes down to earth. When grace confronts sin. Maybe you're here this afternoon, friend, and this all sounds just a bit too harsh, especially for this time of year. I mean, you came to church today or you tuned in online for some good Christmas cheer, right? Why all this doom and gloom? After all, isn't Christmas a time of peace and mercy? Isn't it about an infant who came to be weak and vulnerable because he values us? Yes and amen. Friend, you're absolutely right. But consider this. The message that baby has come to bring is a message for you to repent of your sin and trust in him and what he has come to do, what he came to do on the cross, taking God's judgment on himself to set you free from your slavery to sin. So the good news of the gospel, the good news Jesus brings, confronts anyone who would come it confronts your sin nature, your natural bent away from God. And so it'll prove to be good news to you, friend, if you're humble enough to hear it and to turn from your sin and believe. The coming of Jesus to earth as a baby, what we celebrate at Christmas time, is good news only for those who know they need a Savior. And not all know that. Do you? Jesus didn't come, friend, to give you a little push to be a better person. He didn't come to create good end-of-year nostalgia, as, as much of a fan as I am, of Christmas nostalgia. No, he came to remake you entirely. Are you ready for that? It means giving him your life. See, friend, this message calls everyone who hears it to either turn and serve the Lord or be his enemy. There's no middle ground. One, our, our, our sin and his salvation message will not get along. One will have to die. Okay, well, look there in the middle of verse 34. Jesus continues and he says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's symbolic, of course. Jesus isn't saying he wants to stir up violence. No, he means he has come to bring division. The message he brings will introduce conflict. As Corey read for us earlier, it'll smell like life to some and death to others. And so there in verse 35, Jesus gets specific about where this conflict will often arise when the gospel is preached. The family. Verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Friend, maybe you've experienced this in some measure. I know some of you have. So when you became a Christian, people in your family, your closest circle of loved ones, began to look at you a little differently. Not all families will experience strife just like this, of course, but every Christian will experience some semblance of this in their relationships, whether in their workplace their friend groups, their extended family, being a Christian is costly. Jesus never covers up that fact, and he certainly never apologizes for it. Instead, he emphasizes it. And so, friend, along with Rena, you must answer the question, is this worth it? Is this worth the cost is it worth following Jesus when you know it's going to introduce conflict and struggle into your life in this fallen world? Well, Jesus goes on in the remainder of our passage to give an answer to that question. So we've seen that Jesus is a Savior who divides. Let's see now how he's a Savior who's worth it. Look at verse 37. Jesus continues, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, this is the reason Jesus' message will divide families. Because when the gospel comes and demands our highest worship to King Jesus, it's going to unavoidably cause us to regard other loves Other loyalties, for instance, loyalty to family, as second priority. Jesus is not saying we should not love our families. No, of course not. But he is demanding our utmost worship and devotion for himself. And that's going to offend those who think they deserve your utmost loyalty. Is he worth that? One of the most inspiring women of the early church was a young woman named Perpetua. Perpetua lived in Carthage, North Africa. She was a woman of some social standing in her culture. But as a a young woman, she was converted to Jesus Christ. And not long after her conversion, she was then arrested by the Roman Empire in their persecution of North African Christians. And you'd think as a new Christian and a young woman with her whole life ahead of her, she'd cave under pressure to conform to Roman demands, right? She didn't. And While in prison, Perpetua wrote a diary, some of the very first words from a Christian woman we have uh, after Jesus. And We still have some of the words today. And part of what she describes in her diary in prison is her relationship with her father. See, her father wasn't condemning her like Rena at the beginning, but he was aggressively pleading with her to reconsider her faith, to deny Christ in order to save herself and a baby she had just birthed. Here's part of her diary. She wrote, while we were under arrest, my father, out of his love for me, tried to persuade me to shake my resolve. Father, I said, do you see this vase here? Yes, he said. Could it be called by anything other than what it is? I asked. No. Well, then, in the same way, I can't be called by anything except what I am, a Christian. Perpetua writes then of how her father became increasingly frustrated and frightened for her welfare. And so when it was her turn to to come into court and face the governor, her father pleaded with her again to renounce her faith. He appealed to her out of concern for her baby. And even the governor, who was deciding the case, started to pipe up. Here's what Perpetua writes. "Hilarionus, the governor, said, have pity on your father's gray head. Have pity on your infant son. Offer the sacrifice for the well-being of the emperors. I will not, I replied. Are you a Christian, said Hilarionus. I am, I confessed. Then Hilarionus passed sentence on all of us. We were condemned to the beasts. We returned to prison in high spirits. Perpetua was later killed for her faith in Jesus. See, she loved her father, she loved her baby, but she loved her Jesus more. What about you? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? When Jesus calls your life, and decides and his call on your life does not lie as the old hymn puts it in flowery beds of ease but rather in bloody seas is it going to be worth it to follow him then look at verse 38 jesus says and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me His words are clear. He demands our lives. When we put our faith in him, we leave behind our claim to live however we want. And instead, we die a death to self so we can live a life to him. Our lives are no longer bound up in our own rule, but bound up in our ruler. That's the cost of discipleship. So again, is it worth it? For Perpetua, it was, though it cost her her life. For the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, it was worth it, though it cost him all his religious standing and everything, his pedigree, his fame, everything he'd worked up to. What about you? What's it going to cost you? For those of you who are believers this afternoon, what has it cost you already? Is that worth it? Are you willing to lose it all for Jesus? J.C. Ryle was the Bishop of Liverpool in the 1800s, and he, he wrote on this passage, and he says this, "'Few things do so much harm in religion "'as exaggerated expectations. "'People look for a degree of worldly comfort "'in Christ's service, which they have no right to expect, "'and not finding what they're looking for "'are tempted to give up religion in disgust. "'Happy is he who thoroughly understands.'" That though Christianity holds out a crown in the end, it brings also a cross along the way. Is it worth it? Look at verse 39. Here's the answer. Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see what he's saying? If you lose yourself for his sake, you will find eternal life, eternal peace, eternal joy with him. But if you hold on to yourself, your own rule, with all you've got, and although perhaps interested in Christianity, you never really buy in, you never really repent, you never really trust, well, you may have a life for now. But eternally, eternally, you're going to lose everything. So Jesus is asking you to weigh up the two options, really the only two options you have, and to ask, is he worth it? Church, the resounding answer of Matthew 10, 34 to 39 is, yes, a thousand times over, yes, he is worth it. I mean, consider the comparison. Is it really a question? Fleeting peace here and an eternity under God's judgment versus fleeting conflict and struggle here with abiding peace and an eternity living in God's forever city? Comparison isn't worth making. As the pastor Ray Ortland has said, we pay a price to follow Christ. We pay a higher price not to. Jesus is worth it. He's worth everything you can give up in order to grab hold of him. He's worth losing relationships, as painful as that is. He's worth missing out on job promotions, as great as those can be. He's worth it all. He's come to bring conflict, but he's worth the division we're going to experience as we follow him. You, Many of you will know the quote that the missionary Jim Elliott offered as kind of a paraphrase of this idea. Elliot was martyred trying to bring the gospel to the Alca Indians of Ecuador, and he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Christian, you're not a fool if you die to yourself and live to Jesus. In the end, you're going to be proven wise because he's going to be proven worth it. So, friend, what will you have? Jesus came to bring conflict. And maybe some of you feel that conflict in your soul right now. Maybe you've never really committed your soul to Jesus. Well, friend, we're glad you're here if that's you. But let me give C.S. Lewis the stand a little bit because he has a piece of counsel for you. It's just one sentence or two. This is what he says. Die before you die. There's no chance after. Die before you die. There's no chance after. Count the cost. Die to self and live to Jesus because there will be a day when that que- that option is no longer open for you. Count the cost. Follow after him, whatever conflict, whatever costly discipleship this brings you, this side of heaven, so you can gain the one who will bring you peace, peace now in the midst of conflict, peace forevermore. If you have questions about how to do that, how to place your trust in Jesus, how to give up your life and die to self in order to live to him, we'd love to talk with you about that. If you're here, we can talk to you about that afterwards. If you're online, please look up the church website and email us or Or call us. We'd love to talk more about the the comparison not worth making of dying to self and living to Jesus. And church family, let's let's conclude briefly with three ways we should apply this truth to our lives this Advent season. Three three simple short applications, all beginning with word P, the letter P: Proclaim, persevere. And prepare. First, Christian, proclaim this message. Proclaiming it is going to bring you conflict conflict with your family, perhaps, conflict with friends, with co workers, with neighbors. But if Jesus is who he says he is, true love for those around you will compel you to proclaim this message. If you stay silent, You won't be loving Jesus and you certainly won't be loving those around you. You will only be loving yourself. So die to self and proclaim Jesus. Be willing to jeopardize temporary peace in order to preach eternal peace. Proclaim the message of Jesus. Second, Christian, persevere in your discipleship. So perhaps the cross you bear feels heavier now than it has before keep going. Keep going in the new life. The Spirit of Christ has worked in you, and the strength the Spirit of Christ is fueling you with every hour of every day. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't grow weary of doing good. When sin comes knocking and tempting you with temporary peace, call its bluff. In the end, it's going to be worth it all to persevere and die to self. It's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. Persevere. And finally, prepare for the return of our Savior in the second Advent. Because when Jesus comes, there will be no more conflict. He will judge and save. And then our peace will be fully and finally realized forever. So, prepare for that day. Sing about that day. Long for that day. Let that day fuel your everyday until He comes. Proclaim, persevere, and prepare, for He is worth it. Circling back to that story of Rena and Jess we began with, remember Rena had asked that question is it really worth it? The article continues. Jess held her tight in his arms and said, yes, dear, Jesus is worth it. And the story proceeds and tells how Jess's brothers once came and demanded he divorce Rena. They know it's impossible, he says. They told us if we turned back to Islam, they would build a big, beautiful house for us. But he says, Jesus is more precious than a big, beautiful house. Church, Jesus is a Savior whose message at Christmas will divide. But he's a Savior who will be worth every single costly division he calls you to. He's your king. Follow him. Let's pray. Lord, as we'll sing in a, in a moment, thank you that your death has made a way and by your blood you've won us a people for your own inheritance, a people to proclaim your glory, the glory of the one who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. So we praise you that your peace is not temporary and earthly, but eternal and never fading. We praise you that your peace is just as, flourishes just as much in a palace as it does a prison cell. And we ask, that you would help us to rest content with conflict and struggle in between your advents, knowing your gospel will prevail. Amen.